Well, hey, Northside family, thank you for having me. It's great to be back with you. It always feels like home away from home here, even though I'm clearly not from around here. It's also great to gather together. Last time Nate had me teach, we were all still 100% online. It's great to be online. Welcome to you watching this morning, but it's also great to be able to gather together again. I'm a people person. I believe we're all designed that way to a certain extent, so I love being with people. And while we're talking about it, I just want to commend you, Northside family. We have just come through the hardest year of ministry in our lifetime. And I know you know this, but you have an amazing lead pastor staff and elders who do an amazing job leaning in, yes, <laughs> leaning in and innovating to continue to be the church that that God has designed you to be here in your community in the world around you to bring hope and truth. And it's easy to think that that community and weekend gatherings just happen, but there's a lot of sweat equity that goes into it. And you have an amazing team doing that, and you're part of it too. It's so easy to believe sometimes, to believe the lie that we are doing life on our own. It's just that a lie, don't believe it. You're created to be invited to be, and you are in a great family here at Northside. And if you need a reminder of that today, there are plenty of people here to remind you. You know, I've, I feel blessed to have always been a part of a church family. I grew up in a church in, in Tasmania, Australia. That's Tasmania, Australia, not Tanzania, Africa, for those that are geographically challenged. Then I joined staff at a church at 19 years of age at a church in Sydney, Australia. And uh, that church was called Northside, Northside Church. And then I joined staff at a church in Colorado in 2002, and that's still our church home today. I've never felt in all my years as part of a church family that people loved me or valued me just because of what I have or what I do. I've needed to not stink at what I do because I've been on staff as a pastor for many years. There have been times when people have thought things about me or said things about me that have, been remi that have reminded me to relearn the fact that I am who God says I am and what he thinks about me. There have been times that I've learned that I am better than my worst moment. I can certainly be less than my best. And all those lessons are learned well in the context of a church family. I learned things from people in my church growing up that have shaped who I am today. I remember when I first moved away from home in a state and I was incredibly homesick and the Northside family back then came around me as family. And then when Mandy, my wife, and I moved to Colorado to join that church, they were gracious with us, with the learning curve, coming to a whole new country and culture. When we said the wrong things, did the wrong things, wore the, wore the wrong kinds of clothes, ate the wrong kinds of food. I shouldn't say wrong, I should just say different, right? Different. And then the first staff retreat we had in America, we went to uh, our lead pastor Rick's lake home, vacation home on Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. It was a couple's staff retreat. Anyone here water ski? We got some water skis? Anybody online water ski? I don't. <laughs> Yet at 28 years of age, Rick was bound and determined to have me try. He said, oh, get you up on skis, mate, no worries. I love how you Americans like to try and talk Australian when you're convincing us to do something. <laughs> Your lead pastor, Nate, once said to me, you'll love the food at Taco Bell, mate. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Back to the water scheme. 
13 times Rick tried to get me up onto those skis, 13 times. I felt muscles I didn't even know existed. I couldn't even lift a Kleenex for about a week. It was like I'd gone 13 rounds with Mike Tyson with a gut full of lake water. And I remember Rick and the fellas pulling me back into the boat and the perplexed look on his face. And then his comment that had stuck with me through the years. He said, well, you're good with people. It was Mandy's first time water skiing too. You want to know how many times it took her to get up on skis? I'm not going to tell you. It's none of your business. <laughs> there are watershed moments in your life when you realize your limitations. You get a dose of humility and you realize that what you do cannot equal who you are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, uniquely knit together in the womb, the writer of Psalm. 119 declares, extravagantly loved. See what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called sons of God for that is what we are. First John chapter three, verse one. That could be a crux verse for this series you're in on identity theft, that we should be called children of God because that is what we are. We might be winners or losers. We might be successful, whatever that means, or a flash in the pan. We might be gainfully employed or standing in the social security line. We might be great water skiers or good with people. But there's only one descriptor that matters, and John says it here. Yet we're defined by all kinds of other things, aren't we? We believe all kinds of lies about ourselves. And writer Henry Nowen highlights five of those that we're shining the spotlight on in this series. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what people say and think about me. I'm no better than my worst moment and I'm no less than my best. Most of us have experienced identity theft and how annoying and challenging and what an inconvenience that can be. You have your login passwords ripped off your credit card number stolen, your license, your passport. It's annoying, but it pales into comparison to what can happen to your life when you believe these other lies that now and highlights. So we're in week two of the series today and we're digging into that lie that I am what I do and it's an easy trap to fall into and it starts at a young age. I'm a good kid, I'm a bad kid. I'm a straight A student, I'm a failure. I'm a brilliant athlete, I'm a washed up athlete. I'm a successful business owner, bankrupt. I'm the number one employee, I'm on the chopping block. I'm an upstanding citizen, I'm a convicted felon with a record. I'm a really bad water skier. Henry Nowen writes, you are not what you do, although you do a lot. You are not what you have collected in terms of friendships and connections, although you might have many. You are not the popularity that you received. You are not the success of your work. You are not what people say about you, whether they speak well or whether they speak poorly about you. All these things that keep you quite busy, quite occupied, and quite preoccupied and not telling the truth about who you really are. You ready for this? He writes, I am here to remind you in the name of God that you are the beloved daughters and sons of God. 
And that God says to you, I have called you from all eternity. You are engraved from all eternity in the palms of my hands. You are mine. You belong to me. And I love you with an everlasting love. Why is that so hard to remember? Why do we fall into the trap of believing that what we do is who we are? It's not. It's not. I get to work with a lot of leaders, coach them, help them, and it's a great fit for my personality. For those of you that might be familiar with the personality testing system called the Enneagram, there's lots of these around, lots of different personality tests. There's stuff to learn from each one of them. But the Enneagram sorts you into nine personality types, and I've tested and retested as a type two, which is called the helper, the kind of person that Mr. Rogers said to look out for in a good way. I love removing obstacles, seeing people succeed, seeing people be their best, which I think is pretty honorable and commendable until I fall into the trap of believing that helping is who I am. Then I can become a little manipulative, a little self-righteous. I start to believe that I can fix people and change people and save the world. And last time I looked, that was God's job. A freedom prayer I like to pray each day is, Lord, remind me today that it's not my job to fix this or that or change this person or that person, but help me be a part of the work that you're doing around me and in the lives around me. What's your freedom prayer? Maybe a good exercise for you during this series is to work out which of these five lies is the biggest trap for you. And then working out a freedom prayer, a one or two line breath prayer, you can pray each day to guard against falling into that trap. I remember early in our marriage, Mandy would would sense when I was lying awake at night worrying about things and she'd say, you know, I, I do think you're good at what you do, but not that good. Trust God and go back to sleep. Because the pattern of the world is to worry, right? The way of the Lord is to trust And that brings me to one of the key passages for this series, Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Nate unpacked it some last week. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's so much application for these verses. And what does it mean to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice? Well, I want to suggest in this context that it generally means to see your life as created for God's plan and perfect purpose. Which means we're released from trying and striving to live a certain way, be a certain way, do a certain thing according to the plans of this world or our own agenda, but to allow God to be and do and lead and to guide. In fact, living any other way just leaves us worn out, parched, dry, thirsty, and in a desert season. Like three armies in 2 Kings chapter 3 in the Old Testament found themselves literally in the desert, dying of thirst. 
The three kings of those armies approached God's prophet Elijah to ask him what the Lord would have them do to survive. And Elisha relayed some perplexing instructions. He said, dig dig many trenches and ditches in the desert. I can only imagine how the people complained as they dug those ditches in the middle of the desert only to see God bring, bring a flash flood and fill those trenches with water that would sustain them, save their lives. And God always goes a step further. He ended up defeating their enemies using these trenches in a really unique way. It's worth reading about there in 2 Kings chapter 3. So as we focus in today on renewing our minds according to Romans 12 and testing and approving God's perfect will for us, in other words, believing his truth about us, I want to suggest that we dig five metaphorical trenches in our lives this morning and invite God to fill those trenches with living water truth the kind of living water that he promised a woman at a well in John chapter 4. You see, she'd been living according to all now and five lies and many, many more. And Jesus said to that woman, if you keep drinking this water, believing these false truths, you'll always be thirsty. But drink my living water. Believe my truth about you and you will never thirst again. So the first trench I want to invite you to dig this morning, truth I want to invite you to believe about yourself, sounds real simple, but it is incredibly profound. This is true about you. I am loved. I am loved. There's nothing you can do to change it, influence it, diminish it, alter or affect it. You are loved by a savior who would rather die then live without you. And the proof is in a book called The Bible. That's one long love story about a father redeeming his kids to himself. Now and continues to write, God is the father who watches and waits for his children, runs to meet them, embraces them, pleads with them, and begs and urges them to come home. It might sound strange, but God wants to find us as much, if not more, than we want to find God. Why? Because we're his kids. Because we are called children of God. That is what we are. Now, and also writes, could it be that beneath all the lures to greed, lust, and success rests a great fear of never being enough or not being lovable? You are loved. No ifs, ands, or buts. You just are. Second truth I want to invite you to believe about yourself this morning, Trench, I want to invite you to dig, to fill with God's living water. Truth is this, I am released. I am released from trying, released from striving. I've spent so much of my life trying to convince myself that I am in control. And the truth is, I'm just not. My life is totally out of control. And here's some potentially challenging news for you today. Yours is too. And when you affect who you are to your work, You're tossed and turned like a wave on the sea. Your happiness is dependent on whether things are going good or bad and you end up trying and striving to make things happen according to your own plan, your own agenda, and it is exhausting. I spent the first 10 plus years of my working life also involved in working in the entertainment industry. And it breeds unhealthy ambition that can be exhausting. 
I remember a, a season in my mid-twenties when I'd been trying to make things happen and open doors and I was worn out. And this particular Saturday night, I was going to entertain at a venue at a club in inner city Sydney and I'd be playing a pink piano. Now, that's tough on your ego. I remember walking to the venue from where I'd parked the car and I was having this conversation with the Lord and I, I actually stopped and I prayed a prayer that went something like this, Lord, I am done. I am exhausted. I am so tired from trying to do it my way. Would you just, would you write my story? So I'm finding out that I'm not a very good writer. So I surrender to your plan for my life. And I can trace all kinds of things breaking free in my story back to that powerful prayer of obedience and surrender. I remember another season in in our marriage when we were trying to make our family grow according to our timetable and our plans. God grew our family through adoption, but before that, we had to go through a tough season battling infertility. Some of you might be walking through that tough journey right now. We just had to walk through it step by step. And there were times when we would tune in to God's plan for us and find his peace. And there were other times when we'd go into dark, unhealthy places and then have all kinds of internal communication. I remember, I remember having these conversations in my mind like, I deserve this. Biological children are my right as a male. I've been obedient and, and, and faithful to the Lord. He, I deserve this. So often... We try and settle for a lesser story than the bigger one that God's inviting us to live. We settle for a lesser love than the love he longs to lavish on us. A grieving infertility and opening our hands to God's plan for our lives made way for two of the most amazing experiences of our journey. And now when I look into the eyes of our two boys, I understand more about the father heart of God. Now, admittedly, they're both middle schoolers now, so we're also learning endurance. But learning the truth of this trench that we are released. Back in Book of Romans, earlier chapter 8, verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, his plan, perfect plan. And we know that all things, all things, and all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This means you are released because God is writing your story. He is writing your story today, not you, thank God. The third truth I want to invite you to believe today, Trench, I want to invite you to dig, is I am special. I am special. And I'm not talking about a, oh, isn't he special? Or bless her heart. Or God bless him. Not that like southern condescending, patronizing special that you can come up with. I'm talking about an individualistic, customized special that, that tells you the fact that the Lord of the universe is particularly fond of you. You might think you got dealt a really bad hand. 
or your gene pool is lacking in arts and smarts and anything that sets you apart for a head start, or you might be drinking old, dirty, stagnant water from trenches full of false truths that you thought would nourish your heart, soul, and mind, but they're leaving you parched and dry. Or maybe you've been using things that were meant for good and God's glory, but making them all about you. We all do that from time to time. We try success, money, popularity, beauty, power, and we end up just feeling more thirsty. But drink in the living water in this trench and you start to believe this truth about your identity in Ephesians chapter 1, 4 and 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Are you getting it? You are so special that he chose you, picked you, predestined you to be his kid, to be his child. Writer and pastor Craig Rochelle, who wrote the book Winning the War in Your Mind, which is all about using God's truth to fight that battle, said God's goodness isn't based on what we see, hear, and feel. It's just based on his goodness. You mightn't feel special. It doesn't change the fact that you are special. Again, you can't change it, alter it, diminish it, affect it, influence it. You just are. Fourth truth I want to invite you to believe today, Trench, I want to invite you to dig, is I am saved. I am saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it's by grace you have been saved. This not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Don't be defined by what you do. Be defined by that grace. Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, Whatever I consider gain, I now count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And then in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, he says, If you're going to boast about anything, be defined about anything, boast about what Christ did, His amazing grace. And if Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is true for you, then so is Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has planned in advance for us to do. Good works, not to be defined by, but inspired by what defines us. Let me say that again. Good works, not to be defined by, but inspired by what defines us. Is a new thing in this season of life. I'm having to teach my two boys this because we're apparently we're raising two budding young athletes. I never expected that, but God wrote that into our story. Our oldest at 13 can already dunk. Take a look at this. And if you missed that, let's just show that again. I'm just being a little boastful. It's just like, yeah, yeah. You know. And I'm saying to, to Joey, I'm saying, mate, that's all, that's all really great, but it's not who you are. He's 13, seventh grade, six foot, 145 pounds, and his younger brother, 11, is going to be bigger. In fact, your lead pastor, Nate, is already trying to recruit them. He's responsible for this picture. I want what they do to be inspired by who they are. Remember Cody Parkey, the Chicago Bears kicker, and his botched field goal? in the 2019 NFL playoffs that 
halted the Bears' chances of making it to the Super Bowl and the onslaught, the media onslaught the next week attacking his character. And he said, football is what I, what I do. It's not, it's not who I am. Where did that come from for Cody? He wrote, something I've always tried to do through good or bad is to give praise to the higher power, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's inspired by what defines him. And when we truly grasp this truth, that we are saved, period, we become usable to a creator God, a creative God who will use us in powerful ways, often without us even knowing it or needing to know. Fifth and final truth to believe about yourself today, Trench, to dig for God to fill with his living water truth is this, I am destined, I am destined. This might be a shocking statement to you, but I'm not as young as I used to be. Despite my youthful looks and baby face, can you detect the sarcasm? I'm in my mid-40s now. And it's about this time you start thinking things like, well, maybe there's less days in front of me on earth than there are behind me. What if this is as good as I'm going to feel? The aging process starts to get real. Your kids start beating you at stuff and you start to wish that the, the time between birthdays would slow down, but it just gets quicker and quicker. But here's the amazing news and truth you'll find in this trench. I don't know how people face life's journey without this or the aging process without this. When you choose to follow Jesus, and I'm not suggesting that everybody watching or listening today or gathered here has made that choice. We're glad you're with us wherever you are on life's journey. Maybe you're thinking about finding more out about what it means to follow Jesus, and I encourage you to find out more today because today is your day, now is your time. But when we choose to follow Jesus, here's a truth we find in this trench that changes everything. You ready for it? The best is yet to come. The best is always ahead of us. Is that good news? Yes. And then back to Philippians 3, this time verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We are destined. Jesus himself said in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled when life stinks. When you're under the circumstances and all the news is bad, when your body's sore and you just can't get your mind around it all, remember Jesus' words in John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Would I have even told you it was so? If I wasn't going to prepare a place for you, I am destined. The home, the intimate place. The place of true belonging is therefore not a place made by human hands, now and says. It is fashioned for us by God who came to pitch his tent among us, invite us to his place and prepare a room for us in his own house. You see, you are your destiny. And when you choose to follow Jesus, you win the lottery, the sweepstakes. You become kingdom-minded, heaven-bound, eternally free. And from that moment on, everything you do 
has context. Everything you do is defined by who you are. These words in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You are not what you do. You are not what you do because of what Jesus did. And believe these truths about you. Drink in this living water and it'll bring meaning, focus, and purpose to your life. You know, we go back to Lake of the Ozarks most summers now. And I love sitting in the boat with Mandy watching our boys water ski pretty well and have fun on the water. I love sitting in the boat remembering that I'm good with people. <laughs> but one of my favorite things I tell people to do, to do in life, in this season of life, one of my favorite things is to watch our boys excel on the basketball court and on the football field. Because there's nothing my Enneagram 2 self can do to, to affect the result. All I get to do is be on the sidelines and cheer them on. Celebrate when they win. Love on them when they lose. And get further insight into the Father heart of God and how He delights when we do what He created us to do. Kind of like offering your lives, your bodies as a living sacrifice. I want the best for my boys. But here's what I don't want. I never want them to think that anything they do or don't do on the court or the field or in any context in life will affect my love for them. I never want them to be defined by their performance, by what they do. And I learned that from my dad. I remember back in 2013 to commemorate 20 years since leaving home and going into ministry, I sent my parents an email. I wrote, 20 years ago today, I began an adventure. I left home, moved to Sydney and gave ministry and music a try. You remember? Thanks for your belief in me. Your support of me that made me think that anything was possible. Love you both, even though I probably won't be moving back home. My dad replied with this, with this message. I knew it was around this time, but wasn't sure of the exact date. All I'd say is that God's hand has obviously been upon you as you picked up the ball that was lying in front of you and you ran with it. I guess there's heaps of things you could have done with your life, but I can't think of any that's better than what you're doing right now and have done over the past 20 years. I wonder what the next 20 years will bring as you continue running towards the end zone. Hopefully we'll both still be here to love and support you as we've always done. I know that that kind of parenting isn't the case for everyone. I know that incredible pressure has been put on some of you that has perpetuated the lie we talked about today. 
I'm grateful for that support in my life. It's been a gift to me. I've tried not to take it for granted. But today, as we focus in on not letting this lie that I am what I do steal our identity, I want to give you a message from your Father, your heavenly Father, that is truer than anything you'll say to yourself or anyone else will say to you or anything you'll find in the self-help section of Amazon.com. As we close today, will you receive this blessing, this message from your heavenly Father? Maybe even open your hands to it this morning. This is what he says to you and about you. I have called you from all eternity. You are blessed. You're engraved on the palms of my hands. You belong to me. You are mine. You are loved with an everlasting love. You are released to be free. You are special. You are saved for a purpose. And you are destined. You are my child. That is who you are. Father God, thank you for our true identity, our true reality. This week, help us to step more fully into it and find freedom. To remember that we are unconditionally loved. That we are released from trying. Special to you, saved for a purpose and destined. Thank you for who you are and who we are in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for having me, Northside family. Great to be with you. Have a great week.